gentlemen, welcome back to Planet Tyro for our Woody Allen retrospective. I'm your host, Donald Wonder, and I'm joined once again by my lovely co-host, Simon Rad. Glad to be back. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you, Simon. Ladies and gentlemen, if you missed our previous video, we finally got things started last time when we finally spoke about Woody Allen's first real fully creative-controlled movie, Take the Money and Run, you can see it on YouTube right now. There's going to be a little card to go back to that discussion if you missed it. But we're moving forward, guys. Non-YouTubers, you can also find these recordings as audio-only podcasts on Apple's iOS or with the Apple app, the podcast app on Android or directly through the website podbay.fm. All the links are in the description below so you don't have to look, guys. But, and lastly, there's a quick tip because some people did ask me on a little, a little bit of a hack. If you're on mobile, Android or iOS, if you use the Firefox browser and you're listening on YouTube, you can just turn off your screen and you can just listen to it on YouTube that way as well. So that's another way because I know a lot of people have actually given me feedback about that. So the Firefox browser is pretty good, but we like you to use the podcast either way you like it. And lastly, guys, unless you do not care about spoilers, it's always better if you check out the movie first come back and listen to our discussion because we do get into plot point spoilers and we don't want to ruin the experience for you but if you don't care and you want to listen to our discussion then go ahead so without further ado simon why don't you give us the title of this movie and a quick synopsis for the audience all right so we're looking at alan's follow-up to take the money and run his second film i made in 1971 and it's called bananas and like the title says it's a it's a pretty over-the-top comedy we spoke about it during our previous podcast, how we were surprised at some elements of Take the Money and Run. I caught us off guard and it was something different from what we expected. Yeah. This movie is completely different. This is what you would expect from a Woody Allen comedy. Even if you've never seen a Woody Allen movie before, just from his reputation, the goofball kind of screwy comedies, this pretty much fits the bill. You can tell that he had more confidence and more free range as a director. After all, this is the first of many he did with uh, United Artists. He landed a contract for them for several movies ongoing where he had complete creative control. The plot is quite starts off quite similar to the previous one. He once again plays a down on his law kind of uh, shy, lonely character who is on a quest for love. He bumps into a girl, falls in love, and then uh, gets into one ridiculous situation after the other. But then the movie just goes into complete zaniness when he gets involved uh, with a coup in a foreign country over a dictatorship and somehow ends up taking a major part of the revolution as well as the local politics. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. I mean, the movie isn't extremely focused on coherent storytelling. There are a lot of detours to, uh, for oddball gags and he doesn't really break the fourth wall quite yet, but there are a lot of moments that really don't take themselves too seriously <laughs> and just exaggerate uh, how hard he's trying to make the audience laugh. Apparently, he wrote, you know, hours upon hours of extra comedy that was removed from the film. So he was more than prepared to shoot quite a few gags for this one. Yeah, and uh, let me jump in and say this. Simon, I think you mentioned this, and we're both on the same page here. This is actually both our second time seeing this movie. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this movie beforehand, so it's a very different experience when you're rewatching it. Yeah. So I'll take that into consideration once we delve in deeper with the details of the film. Well, let me start and say this. This, from my memory, was one of the comedies I really thought I disliked a lot. I remember it just being very zany and just this revolutionary plot you mentioned as well. I just remember, off my memory, not liking it that much. Sure. I mean, it's it's, it's not that innovative mockumentary piece it's it's very typical of of the times that that you would expect a, a goofball comedy to be made in you know late 60s early 70s but i will say simon upon rewatching it i like this a hell of a lot more than i did the first time but i didn't like this as much as take the money and run and i'll explain a bit why now okay as you said the comedy in this this movie feels like as you said he had all these comedy ideas and he was just throwing them in throwing them in at this movie and that's fine but the revolutionary element is a big story plot that it kind of took me aback like okay because the movie the, the for me when i look back on this movie now especially watching the second time it feels like this it comes in three parts you got the first part which is like a normal movie woody allen like you said the whimsical office worker he's actually like a product tester and he's got this really funny kind of the first thing you see him and he's uh, he's testing this this office unit office exercise unit is very goofy it's shot really the way they shoot is really funny he's you know throwing the basketball who pulling draws it's really weird it's really wacky it's funny yeah he placed uh, to his influences i mean the whole movie is very uh marx brothers and charlie chaplin charlie chaplin was one of the founders of united artists so yeah you know it, it all makes sense that that his first movie with them would be a comedy very much inspired by the legends of the past. Yeah, and because it starts that way, and then him meeting this woman who's interested in, you know, the social rights of this Banana Republic, which is another reason why it's called Bananas, because it's got to do with a Banana Republic. And he's basically, he gets into this political situation, basically, just to win over a girl. And I like it as a plot element that this, you know, guys will do anything for pussy, even chirps this woman. So <laughs> it's a kind of good tagline, you know, it's kind of true even to this day. And once the thing is, that was the first part. And once he got into this revolutionary situation, that's the bigger bulk of the movie. And everything in that part, like the actors involved, I didn't really care for it. I didn't think it was funny. But the last half, when he gets extradited back to the US with the court case, that was hilarious. So for me, the first 15 minutes are really great. The middle, which is the bigger part of the movie, I didn't really care for. There's some things I liked, but I'll get to that in a minute. But the end, like the, 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 the beginning and the end are hilarious. The middle with the revolutionary plot, I, I still don't like it. I just thought... The comedy, even in that revolutionary part, I know it's meant to be like a kind of a satire of a lot of these films. Because I think at the time, uh, things were obviously at the time the movie was shot. You know, America was dealing with uh, was it the Del Castro situation anyway? Oh, uh, a lot of that. Basically, America was very politicized, and a lot of foreign policy was focused on dictatorships and and all these revolutions. And, and like the main joke of the movie is basically that you have one revolution to get rid of one dictator and the moment he leaves all the revolutionaries become dictators themselves so it's just yeah. a continuous circle of problems yeah but yeah yeah he basically he takes the piss out of fidel castro or a fidel castro type character in, in a sense of putting himself in that position so it's 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 for sort of a parody 
it, it is it's, it's a, a visual parody of of okay how would Woody Allen look like as a as a dictator basically you know that that part didn't work for me just because he he himself transforms himself into that character if it was like an outside I know there are people he meets that try to kill him and those people he's not parodying then he's becoming the parody of that character in the middle but he's in it just to get laid so to me I don't find a, a great satire of that idea but Woody Allen himself and the comedy little gags they're funny but here's the thing they don't relate to the narratives to me and let oh me, yeah very the, very 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 separated yeah often. And, and let me explain myself because some people are listening to my figure what's he talking about in the beginning he has random comedy jokes that have nothing to do with this revolutionary plot that are funny for example there's a scene and i, I said this in the beginning woody allen's a pervert there's a scene where he's flying. <laughs> that's a legendary scene as well that's one of the that that joke has been imitated so many times but keep going there's a yeah. scene where he's in a he's in a grocery store he's in a news agent and he's just trying to buy a porn magazine again this is done in so many tv shows movies you know he's trying to the first thing you see is the comments the, the magazine is looking at the, the women that you know the women you can see they're naked women you can actually see it so it's a mature movie which is funny and then he's trying to buy it at the cash register and you know it's that typical joke uh, Lenny can I get a naked magazine you know Laos if I can hear it but then even when he leaves he actually grabs a woman's breast before going so he's a complete pervert so that was just random but very funny we've seen it before I guess would the done it whatever one of my favorite scenes this whole movie it's just random comedy. And I'm sure everyone in the reviews of Red Fist movie say this. He's walking down the street and there's a car and he's like, ah, back it up, back it up, back it up, back it up. He's kind of helping some guy back up his car and he just and he makes a car ram into another car and just walks away. <laughs> That's he just come, it's like he's trying yeah. to help back it up, back it up, and just crash and just walks away. It's a it's like a 20 second scene. It doesn't lead to any narrative, just random dumb comedy. So, again, and he does a lot of that in this movie. He's just throwing so many sketch comedy ideas at the wall. Once he gets into the revolution and once he's in the... Or is it Del Castro? What's the country called again? The fictional country? It's, I think, it, I believe it's San Marco. That's it. That's it, San Marco. The one big gag that sticks in my mind, because a lot of the gags, again, are kind of far away. The one gag I will commend him for that he did in that fictional country is there's a scene where he has to buy lunch for the soldiers. He has to make an order to get them all lunch. So he goes and he, he makes, he places this massive order. I need a hundred coffees, you know, with cheese and... Yeah, very to, detailed, you know. Like, very, very detailed. And, you know, that's a that's a throwaway gag. It's like, okay, it's really fun. It's gone on too long. But what adds weight to the gag is he actually, you know, gets, you see them bringing out all that, all the ingredients, the whole orders. They're bringing bags and bags of food. That's like the funniest gag to me because they actually went through with it, even though they probably used fake pots. But you can see they use a hell of a lot of gags just to make that joke work. And to me, I don't know, man. A apart from those the comedy bits, everything with the revolution, it didn't work as satire. It was just kind of meh. Oh, actually, there's one more joke, but again, it's just perverse. There, he's he's in this he's in that uh, town or whatever, and there's a woman that goes, oh. I got bit in the tit. I got bit by a snake, and she got bit in her breast. Yeah, you have to suck out the poison. Yeah, yeah you have yeah. to suck out the poison out of her breast, and then Woody Allen's like got a smile. <laughs> All these men run up to her. It's just perverted jokes, but again, they don't know. They don't lend to the narrative of the revolution of the dictatorship until he becomes 
the de facto dictator by some silly means, and that doesn't even matter because <laughs> honestly, I'll be honestly completely blunt, I didn't really care for any of that. And by that time, I was kind of just kind of bored by the movie. But then where the movie picked up was right at the end where he gets extradited back to the US as a traitor. And from the minute he steps into the court scene, it's just, to me, it's absolutely comedy gold. The first thing he does, and I'm not getting detailed, guys, but I do want to praise the movie. The first thing he does is something that you would do, Simon. The whole movie is something I would do, probably. <laughs> he walks into court and, uh, and he's covering his face like you do when you're trying to hide your identity. And when he's walking into the court, there's a woman that comes on the screen. And she's so hideous or ugly, he walks back into the shot and he actually covers her face instead. <laughs> it's so rude. It, is, uh, it was so horrible. I mean, I don't know if he could get away with a joke like that because he's basically calling someone so ugly, I have to cover up her face for her. I would rather expose my identity than let this woman show her ugly face. It's really fucked up. That's what I remember. It, I was laughing out loud. And then after that, I mean, these things, I know it's just, I'm picking out little bits and pieces, but these are the things that suck me to the film. These little sketch comedy bits. And I'm sorry to just railroad Simon and go ramble on this, but... No, I, I mean, right in the beginning when you said, when you talked about uh, the dictator part, that's when you nailed it. That was what I would have built up to as well with a summary that that is the weak link in the film. Apparently, you know, they shot a lot more and it had and they removed it and it's very brief in the movie, but it still it drags the movie down. That will be my criticism of it. Even I'm right now just trying to summarize that it's a hard movie to wrap your head around because there are so many good small bits in it, but the overall narrative is not that strong. It's interesting to watch as a retrospective because you can see some of the Woody Allen staples. Yeah. New York as a location, his character as being this uh, lonely down on his luck guy, uh, having a therapist, a complicated relationship. Those staple elements start to come into the narrative and really become his own signatures. There are all the gags, the, the side gags in the beginning are extremely memorable. They're classic jokes. They have been done time and time again. Some of elements of them were already classics that Woody Allen revisited or reinvented as an uh, from his inspirations. And then some of them were completely original and became classics in their own right that have been redone since. There's even a very memorable small cameo for um, Sylvester Stallone in an uncredited role before he was famous. Oh, yes, so yes, yes. Good that one. I always go on about because the first time I saw this movie that completely took me took me by surprise. So there's a lot of that here and it's worth watching the movie for that. But the big problem is that a lot of other things that Woody Allen later on gets very good at and we saw snippets of it in Take the Money and Run, like the relationship aspect that gives more weight to the plot. You're more invested in the story because you're rooting for the relationship. You get it more into the romance. That's missing from here. The movie is very quick to get through all these jokes, very quick cuts, just rushing through it. Not a whole lot of room for the actual relationship or even the plot of the film. And when we get to the big payoff in the foreign country, you know, that's not very memorable at all. The cinematography work, we never work with again, and there are a few clever shots, but all the big set pieces with the army and the chase sequences, again, not shot very well, not a whole lot of memorable imagery at those parts. And when it's all said and done, it's the weak part of the film. I fought for something that's supposed to be the build-up for it, and they went through the budget of 
traveling abroad, shooting on location, even though the country was fictional, they still shot in South America, I believe. Um, I thought it was Puerto Rico. I thought they shot the scenes um, in that fictional in Puerto Rico. You know, you're probably right. Uh, let's get the lo- location right. But um, you know what I mean. Basically, yeah. that should be the payoff of the film. And when you watch it, whether you watch it the first time, which I think is a better experience because a lot of the jokes are fresher, or you watch it a second time, it just keeps dragging you down. Even the humor is downgraded. Uh, previously, there is more creative stuff, more clever dialogue. True. Over there, there's a lot of gross-out jokes, a lot of uh, you know spilling stuff out of your mouth, getting poisoned, a lot of slapstick, uh, you know, a lot of basic humor. It could be that they shot with a lot of local extras who didn't speak English, so there wasn't really any room for conversation. Hmm. But um, I don't know, man. That, that takes the movie down a few notches. On the second time I watched it, I didn't have a, as good of a time as the first, as when I saw it fresh. It's not one of those movies that grows on you. But I recommend watching it with a group of people. If you have friends that have a good sense of humor and get into these movies, that elevates the experience. Because if they have a good time laughing, you get drawn into that. And, you know, that, that's the best way to watch it, in my opinion. I more or less agree. I have to bring up the last, I'm not going to go into detail, but the last court scene from that point to the end of the movie is comedy gold to me. Everything he does in the court scene from... He, there's a scene where he keeps on jumping He's because he, he, he represents himself as a lawyer. He jumps back yeah. and forth, back and forth. It's so ridiculous. That's another classic. Even up until to the, uh, this day, I mean, was it one or two years ago, uh, Tim Burton have that, had that movie, uh, Big Eyes. Yeah. They did the same gag with Christoph Waltz in that. So up until this day, these jokes are, are redone. A lot of this stuff is classic material. It's just you expect this uh, big war satire but you don't really get it. I mean, no. he continues the he, he continues the political yeah. vibe, you know, take take shots at the communism scares, you know, of the McCarthy era. There's a mention of J. Edgar Hoover, who kind of has an, a cameo in the film, but I won't spoil how because it's a really yeah. weird way to have a cameo in the movie. But um, it, it's it's not emphasized properly. But then again, Woody Allen wrote some pieces that didn't get published because they were too political. So maybe that's what motivated him to make a, a goofy comedy first with uh, and tone the political aspects of it down. Well, to be completely fair, that's exactly what he said. He said he wanted to intentionally make it a comedy first. I just think it still didn't come out the way it's probably meant to. I still think the comedy just seems completely random and not as consistent as it should be as a comedy satire of this political banana republic idea but let me tell Ennis and say this the last scene again there's a very creative comedy like thing where he turns this gigantic <laughs> like his, his uh, what do you call it his consummation ceremony with his wife into a boxing match commentary where he's got people watching him having sex with his wife and the commentary is really funny and um, actually ironically the woman playing his love interest slash wife in the movie, Louise Lesser, was actually his wife in real life, who they were actually going through a divorce at the time of this movie. And, you know, they still maintain a relationship to the point where, even though they were getting divorced through the movie, they still completed the movie, which is awesome. And even Woody Allen was like, you know, I'm not, I forgot the quote he said, I'm not sophisticated enough to let something like divorce stop us from working together. Ironically, that won't work in something that happens to him in the future. <laughs> but, Louise, that's a, <laughs> as a 
love interest. She's really funny. She has this thing with Woody Allen, especially when they break up the first time earlier in the movie, where she's like, well, it's not that you're not tall. It's not that you're not funny. And they have a really good exchange. And they're, even... they're, they're genuine chemistry. And she has yeah. one of the, the best lines in the or best jokes, should I say, later on in the film. And that actually is going to be my quote of the movie because I always have my quote of the movie. But I just want to highlight Louise Lasser as she's a really good lead. We'll see her again in the next Woody Allen movie as well. And uh, I'm not, there's not much more to say. I'm going to kind of wrap this up and say this. This was an ambitious idea. I know I kind of shitted on the movie about it's not being consistent with the narrative. But it was ambitious, especially from the first movie to a satire war comedy. It's very ambitious. The cinematography is okay for the time. And to actually shoot this in Puerto Rico... Woody Allen does have a, a bigger budget, so, you know, it's cool that he did this, but I don't know. For me, it was hit and miss. But as I, as I said in the beginning, I remember not liking this movie at all. This is a good comedy movie for Woody Allen. It's still pretty funny in parts, but I personally liked the beginning and the end. And that's pretty much all I can say. I still think it's watchable. I still think it's okay. But, um... I know, generally, looking at the... I mean, if we... I'm going to put the scores up on the screen. If you're looking at IMDb and the Rotten Tomatoes, guys, this is kind of uh, another 7-ish. But this, again, wasn't... This isn't as loved as even this first movie, Take the Money and Run. So, the general consensus is that people think it's okay. People are kind of where we are with it. But, again, it's looked upon somewhat fondly and somewhat not. So, it's kind of in the middle. So, definitely not one of its worst movies, though, from what I can see. No, I, I wouldn't say that either. Take the Money and Run has uh, the advantage of uh, being a more unique film. And that even goes for some of the more over-the-top jokes. Even if it's not that funny, at least it, it elevates itself to being uh, a sight to be seen. Where here, the jokes just go on for too long if they don't work. Yeah. Uh, mostly the quicker gags are the funny ones and the ones I really recommend checking the movie out for the big overall set pieces are not as memorable and that's why i think the movie doesn't have a lot of rewatch value it's not one of those that you will keep putting on and on and on i think you watch it every now and then if that so um anything else you want to wrap up some before i give my quote of the movie my favorite quote in this movie well i can give you some super obscure trivia relating to the again brilliant score of the film composed by marvin hamlish if you ever want to win money from a snob friend of yours who, who probably tells you, oh, I bet a hundred bucks, you can't ask me anything I don't know about Woody Allen, where well, here it goes. Hmm. The main score for this film, uh, I Want the Night, that score was later uh, in the 90s ripped off and used for a Spider-Man video game wow. called Maximum Carnage. Yeah, In that game, you can pick up power-ups and summon other superheroes to tag the enemies. And they have their own little animation and theme song. Hmm. And the one for Black Cat is a ripoff uh, from the main theme of Bananas. So there you go. If you didn't know, now you know. Wow, that is super deep. <laughs> uh, so is that the only info you want to share with us? I, I thought, you know, after that, you, you can die. Once you know that your life is over, you, you, you will learn nothing that will top that. Nothing is more fascinating. You know what, Simon? I think you've given me a really good lead in to say that, guys, if you like Woody Allen's super truthful like that, don't forget to check out WoodyAllenPages.com. They have a watcher's guide 
with so much critical, in-detailed information on all of these movies that we sometimes use to help us supplement these reviews as well. Give that a buy. Get it digitally on Kindle. Link in the description as well because, guys, <laughs> again, there's so much Woody Allen facts that we're not going to cover because you'll be listening to a podcast for 10 hours if we did. So check out that description, guys. But, Simon, thank you for the tidbit. And uh, on that note, I will say my line of the movie is a short one, a very simple one. I'm paraphrasing, not to be exact, but Woody Allen at a certain point says to one of his friends, I was falling in love with her and she was just standing there. Or I was falling in love and she just stood there. It's a variation of one way of saying it. No round of applause from Simon? No. Is that a thing that's just sad and pathetic? That's all I have to say. <laughs> that's Woody Allen self-deprecating. That's part of his comedy. You know, he, he has so many faraway self-deprecating lines. You know, he, sometimes they're funny. I guess sometimes you're just like, okay, Woody, you know, just cut it out. So I, I don't think that was acting. I think that was his genuine reaction to the divorce, which is probably why some of the parts of the movie don't work. Because I think there was so much improvisation with some scenes and elements and even with some of the production where certain things didn't work out or some extras didn't turn up that were supposed to be a band that a lot of the stuff was rewritten on set and improvised so maybe that caused some unnecessary changes i don't know <laughs> it's definitely it's a it, it's still a, a unique movie in its own right so i always recommend checking this one out i, I don't have that much negative to say about it no nice. I've, I've had i was so much more critical than you as i always am guys but on that note guys let's leave it there if you have anything to say on the movie anything you have to say about our thoughts then don't forget guys it's just our opinions before you send that hate mail to me like i've got in the past so guys let us know what you think of this movie in the description down below leave us a comment a review on itunes don't forget you can always get this you can always download this as a podcast if you're not listening on youtube every link to everything we said will be down in the description simon on the thank you for being on this one as usual that's fine it was a lot of fun and uh, i really recommend people to watch these two back and back and keep doing that as we go through his catalog to watch each movie chronologically and see which one do you like more take the money and run our bananas compare the two yeah make it fun enjoy us on this little discovery trip and until then guys if you're watching on youtube you can see the playlist we've got on the screen here you can check another video on planet tower we do a lot of content not just woody allen but right now this is our specific project for 2017 thanks for watching guys take care and we'll see you on the next recording